Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Daria Show. If it's your first time listening, here's what we do here. I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen and you enjoy. On today's episode, we're going to be breaking down Netflix's new animated series called Super Crooks. This is a superhero genre television series. However, it's from the point of view of super villains. So it's a bit of a twist on that genre. I had a lot of fun watching this series, and I'm excited to break it down and get into it with you. So without further ado, let's roll the intro and get into it. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. Alright, so as mentioned before, Super Crooks is a new animated Netflix series based off of the comic book series of the same name. That comic is written by Mark Miller and Lionel Francis Yu. The story follows Johnny Bull as he recruits a group of ragtag supervillains for one final heist. This type of play on the superhero genre where you follow the supervillains instead of the superheroes is kind of a trope that I'm seeing more often in media right now as we start to see just more saturation of the superhero genre in general. If you've seen Invincible on Amazon Prime, it's not quite the same in, t- in terms of following the supervillains, but it does take a grittier, uh, gray area approach to superheroes in general. I- I'd say a closer example of what this show presents would actually be The Boys on Amazon Prime as well. And this is a trope that I'm seeing that I predict is going to get really tired soon because a lot of shows are giving us a lot of superhero content. It's really surprising that that's still coming out in 2021, coming into 2022 now. But I'm not tired of it yet. I love all of it. And so I'm here for it until it gets, you know, overdone. But for now, I'm loving it all. At this point, I do think that it's worth mentioning that this is technically a spinoff series of Netflix's Jupiter's Legacy. If you haven't heard of that, it's another superhero series. Um, It's not animated, however. It actually has real actors. I did enjoy that series. It does take a gritty approach uh, from the point of view of superheroes. However, of all the more recent superhero genre shows that have come out, this one definitely fell the most flat for me of anyone that I saw. I did have fun with it, but... Uh, it is worth mentioning that this is a spinoff of that same source material, which is very interesting. That being said, Super Crooks definitely succeeds in setting its own specific tone and setting itself different than any other version of a show that's tackled a similar type of idea before. Uh, most notably is the first episode. You're essentially watching an innocent superhero origin story until you can kind of see the twist that happens coming, but... A big twist changes that on its head and flips what your expectation might be coming into the show. I'd say that at the beginning of it, it feels like you're watching Static Shock or the Amazing Spider-Man animated series. But by the time that twist hits, again, it strikes that tone of Invincible or The Boys or even The Joker, the most recent DC film that came out. Now, before I break down the events that unfold throughout this series, I do just want to talk about something that stands out immediately once you start watching it, and that's that the show has style and swagger. The whole time, the show just has a very specific beat to it and uh, a stylish sensibility. It takes itself in a very cool way. Something that was very similar to this might be like Samurai Shampoon. It It has its own frequency when you're watching it, and that's certainly relevant here. I really enjoyed the intro. 
the opening soundtrack is really fun and upbeat and it get, it sets the tone very well for the show every time you watch the intro that being said the actual animation for the intro was a little bit lewd a bit a bit weird of a direction to take but at the very least it was some of the most unique uh anime intros that i've come across lately now getting into the actual content of the season one thing I thought was interesting is it, the show is kind of split up into multiple chapters. I would describe it. It's not quite acts, but it exists in chapters. The first episode acts as a very thorough prologue and actually stands out as some of my favorite part of the entire series, honestly. Uh, it's very different in tone than the rest of the series because it's setting you up for a big twist. But the tone that it presents itself while being dark and funny at times is a tone that I would have been happy sitting with in the entire series. The series definitely evolves and grows and gets its own style, which has, you know, some good and some bad involved there. But I, I do feel nostalgic already. Once you move on to episode two and three, I already feel I already miss that specific tone that they strike in the first episode. And they never even really circle back and really recapture that in any way. So while I'm on the topic, I'll go ahead and just start breaking down that episode one. And the reasons why this was so fun for me, it's similar to watching Spider-Man in theaters for that first time, that first Sam Raimi uh, trilogy. And you get to see Peter Parker really discovering his powers in such a charming and unique way. Watching, watching Electro Boy find out that he has these abilities and explore them with his best friend, which is pretty much just narrated by his best friend, who is helping him cultivate these powers and test his new limits and whatnot was just super cute. It was nice seeing them bond and seeing them uh, have just so much fun over the excitement that is becoming a superhero in a world where all of society looks up for up to superheroes. One thing that I am a little bit critical of is they they certainly made uh, a lot of room in the first like five minutes of the episode to show you what his home life situation is before he finds out that he has powers. He is obsessed with with superheroes. He's got all comics and action figures all around his room. It's clear that this character idolizes superheroes. However, um, uh, he is being watched over by a young mother or a sister character. It's hard to quite tell. It's certainly a situation where they don't have a lot of money. And she's kind of not a floozy, but is uh, having a lot of sexual encounters. And that has a builds a weird relationship for him and uh, his mother figure in his life. Now, that is, uh, it's dramatic. It sets up that he uh, has dealt with hardships in his life and clearly is deflecting some of that emotional pain into his, his idolization. That's cool and all, but that origin doesn't inform his character at all moving forward, at least not in ways that I can see. And they don't even really ever do anything to hearken back to those details to even show that it mattered to that character at all. The entire origin story honestly doesn't, feel like it effectively informs this character for where he finds himself in the events of the series, especially in the second and the third chapter of the series. I really just didn't feel that emotional stake from where he was to where he is now. One argument for that could be that because he was raised in this broken home type situation that he never had positive relationships modeled to him. Um, and that's why there is such a strong plot, especially in the later half of the series, around him and his romantic relationship. That being said, if that is what they're going for, I think that they still kind of did a weak job of doing that. I would be interested to see what the comics are like. I haven't read them at all, so I wonder if, you know, just switching to this more visual medium, I mean, we're going from an American comic book series to a Japanese animated style, so of course you might lose a little bit in translation there. 
But anyways, the two best friends, after really uh, testing the limits of his new powers, decide that it's time to show the world what he can do. It's time for his superhero debut. And in a very stupid manner, uh, they are displaying Electro Boy. His superpower is electricity. So he basically can produce electricity and control things that involve electricity. Anyways, he's hovering over a public pool to showcase off his new crazy powers. And the second that they even mentioned public pool for this showcase, I figured what the twist was going to be, knowing that this show was called Super Crooks. I knew in some way things were going to get dark at some point. And, of course, these silly kids, um, in in all their uh, stupidity, end up killing a whole community of people. He he all electrically charged up just falls into the water along with everyone and subsequently kills about 50 people there in the water and uh, leads to just mass panic hysteria and even more deaths there is a lot of humor that is in this scene as dark as it is i mean think of the type of humor you might see on adult swim or deadpool type content uh it was very dark to see but it honestly did work for me i don't mind this as the origin story for him however i still don't I don't buy that he just automatically, after these traumatic events, he just switches to wanting to be a villain hardcore. I don't see how that would have been a relatively normal decision for him, considering how much he looks up to heroes at this point. Another critique I have is that his best friend really doesn't come back into the plot, except for with a small tag at the end of the season. I He made such a strong impression in that first episode, and he brought a lot of energy to the situation that I would have liked him to, I would have at least liked to see what happened with their friendship and their dynamic from that point moving forward, because I think that would have been really interesting to see. But no, forget that noise. We're going to forget about him for a while as we do our quick little time skip. It's about 10 to 15 years later and we where we pick back up with our character, and it's as he's exiting Supermax after having served a sentence in a high-leveled security prison essentially in this place they have technology restricting all inmates from using their powers so he got locked up for doing something nefarious we aren't quite sure what the specific events he does that that gets him locked up to begin with but as soon as he exits he reconvenes with his uh sweetheart uh someone he's been romantically involved with for a while that being said we don't see their relationship start for us we just pick up at the point where she had been waiting for him to get out of jail all these years where we pick back up with our character, Johnny has now evolved into being Johnny Bolt, a somewhat successful supervillain uh, known in the villain community, uh, community for you know some thefts and other such crimes. Um, I, he's a very confident person as soon as we meet back up with him, whereas uh, the character that we were introduced to in season in episode one was very unassuming, very innocent, very uh, rose-colored gl- uh, lenses, so to speak. And I really wish I could have just gotten some more checkpoints from the opening of the series to where we just find him immediately. Uh, we don't really get to see the development of his character in any way, and it's it's hard for me to even connect these two characters together other than their electrical abilities. Uh, you just have to kind of believe that this is still that boy. But again, I, I, I won't repeat myself again too much about this, but I don't feel like... Johnny as a child uh, really earned his way to be Johnny Bolt, who he is, uh, where we pick back up with him. Promptly after his return from the prison world, we meet back up with Johnny Bolt's uh, friend group, which is a ragtag group of villains. It's not going to be our final ragtag group of villains that we follow for the main plot, but it is a really fun little group that's assembled. 
there's one man with ice powers, one who can teleport them around, and one who can project bad luck. Which the bad luck, the bad luck power was something I have never really seen depicted, and they used it. They applied it in a lot of different ways throughout the series in the different moments that we get to catch up with his little ragtag group. And I thought it was just really fun. I wish that they had a bigger role to play in the main story at large. But the time that we do spend with them just does have a lot of charm and has a lot of energy to it as well. In episode three, we get a really long car chase scene with them after they rob a bank, essentially. And you get to see them all apply their powers together to get away from uh, another very unique character, which is a rubber band ball superhero. (laughs) The... If I were to give this show any compliment is that it does elevate the superhero genre by providing us with powers and characters that I haven't really seen before. And any unique depiction of powers at this point with all the amounts of TV shows, cartoons, and animes that exist out there, to have a unique type of character with a certain power is really impressive. And this show gives us nothing short of plenty of those. So that is a a nice credit to the show. At this point, I consider this the second chapter where you're just getting reintroduced to the character and kind of setting up the stakes for who he is moving forward for the rest of the series. However, I do think this is the weakest chapter. I think it would be better if at least some of his friends uh, were relevant for the main thing that they're trying to solve later down the road. And they have amazing powers, so I don't see why they wouldn't be included for that, especially the teleportation guy. I mean, come on. But uh, the way that when they do use them, they they are a lot of fun. But I just think that this has the least to do for the overall plot and doesn't even do that much to set anything up moving forward. At this point, you're just watching a new episode and you're seeing the the plot develop one episode at a time. But it doesn't feel like there's narratively you're not moving towards anything specific. You don't know what your end goal is whatsoever. We are also introduced to the Praetorian in this part of the series and he, uh, as speaking of unique superhero characters, he is a really, he's one of the best characters that this show has to offer. Uh, his, his power system is that he can get a new power every day, essentially. And at this point, he has over 200 powers. So he's a jack of all traits, if you will. Uh, you only see him sp- uh, messing with a deck of cards around. And that's just a visual metaphor to show the type of roulette he has to the abilities that he can have on any given day. Uh, And he was just a really interesting character. Throughout the series, you realize that he has a lot of different layers to him, and he's actually perhaps one of the more devious characters that do exist. Disguised as as one of the biggest superheroes for society, he is on the low actually doing more harm than anyone else around. And he's made all that more terrifying with his just plethora of of powers that he has access to. The next chapter, we get introduced to a host of fun and unique characters that is going to be our main team as we engage in this big heist that we have planned. Essentially, this group is being assembled by the first character that we meet, which is The Heat, also known as Carmine to us, the viewer, and our characters. He's just basically an old man who has had a long career of being a supervillain. His twist, however, is that he doesn't have a power. If he were to have a power, it would be great planning skills and tenacity because he's the one who really puts everything in motion here. He comes up with a great plan utilizing everyone's powers and that has multiple steps that has thought over a lot of different uh, potential outcomes that may come up and has planned out for many contingencies. 
he's a really good character. He provides a lot of heart to the series and a lot of uh, motivation. And he is kind of the driver of the ship, at least for this entire section of the show. The next character I want to talk a little bit more about is who I already introduced at one point, but it's actually Casey. She is the girlfriend of Johnny Bolt. She's been waiting for him this whole time. And she actually has maybe the strongest power out of any character that we see here. And it's basically that she's like a she she's like a telepath and she can kind of control your perception on what's happening and make you do things. Uh, it's a very trippy power and it doesn't get explained in much too much detail. That being said, we see a lot of examples where the application of her power is pretty much endless and she can really morph reality in a lot of different ways. Uh, so she's a lot of fun. She actually serves as pretty much the main soul of the series because every time that the series goes back to a uh, a dramatic moment, that part is being driven by the romantic plot and you're seeing that point of view from her. So yeah, she does a lot for the series and honestly, she's one of the she's probably a big part of the what makes the show bearable when there are th- some of the bad moments where the show is a little bit paper thin, she keeps it upbeat. TK is a character that can levitate things. Uh, he can. We've seen him levitate people, aircrafts, and we haven't really seen what the limit is for this character, but he's cool, calm, and collected, and his power is definitely a very good one uh, and can be used in a lot of different ways, as we definitely see on the show. Forecast is a character with a super fun power and a lot of fun energy. He kind of serves as the shaggy of the group. He's very aloof. He has a lot of stoner energy. And he keeps the vibes chill, and he he brings some humor to the series as well. His power is basically to control the weather. Not only can he control the weather, but he can spawn weather as well. We've seen him be inside of a vault and summon a snowstorm. So his power is very overpowered as well. All the characters here have really amazing powers, honestly. They're just very low-key villains that haven't uh, done too much, and it actually serves them well to be more low-key and lesser-known type of supervillains. Roddy and Sammy are the Diesel brothers, and they both share the ability to essentially regenerate in real time, just like uh, Deadpool, but even at a more accelerated rate. And they have earned themselves a wrestling career as the indestructible men because, uh, honestly, they have the most fun on screen. And the show actually gives them, anytime that we're seeing all the characters uh, get put in a situation where they get to put their powers on display, the show has the most fun with their powers. There's endless applications of it uh and they're essentially walking zombies that can just regenerate in real time and they make for a very antagonizing threat and a very horrific one could be very scary and overwhelming but just a really creative one and the fight that we especially see against them and the uh the gladiator on top of the air airship in the sky was a really fun one and it was really fun seeing the different ways that you can use that ability tearing off your own arm and doing different things with your body to kind of trick them and throw your uh, opponent off a little bit. And to round out our group is the character Ghost, who has the ability to phase through walls. He can become basically invisible, you know, just like Danny Phantom would, and just phase through different walls, an ability that is very useful in any heist-type situation. So, yeah, that's that's it. That's the entire squad. Of course, Johnny Bull is the last person on the team, and he's our main character that we're following perspective for a majority of the time here and it was fun going on the multi-step heist with them again at this point if i were to critique it it feels like i still just don't know where it's going and the show puts a lot of effort to have carmine who's running this whole operation at this point 
only give you nuggets of information at a time when you need it. And he's keeping that information away from us, the viewer. I understand this as a narrative choice, but with a show that hasn't done well to uh, foreshadow or set, set up an events, at least not in any trackable way, uh, it, 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 it doesn't serve the show very well to not have us in a little bit. It's not, I get that is very much so like a heist movie. You're, it, you're getting explained the heist situation as it's happening in real time. But with this show, I think that it needed a stronger through line for this section of the series because this was the part where it's easy to disengage because you don't know what you're looking forward to. You're just getting event after an event that is unfolding and it makes sense as it goes. But again, it would have been better to have a little bit more of a stronger through line and end goal of what our overall objective was. Their plan was almost flawless uh, to a certain point. Uh, It was only by coincidence that the Praetorian happened to be left behind and therefore present while they were trying to pull off their heist. And the, the battle sequence with him was a lot of fun. It's awesome seeing his overwhelming powers just just dominate their entire crew uh even and seeing the different ways that they find to just stall time against him because he's such a threat that he's, he just mows through them in such a strong way the team does manage to pull their wits about themselves enough to figure out a solution to at least get rid of him in the short term and accomplish their goal which they do successfully however uh it's only because the praetorian is a secret villain and he has Uh, more access going on than we thought up to this point that he's able to know where they're going and meet them there and cut them off at the time Uh, which leads to the sad realization that even though they thought they win they were actually just still playing along with the schemes of who presents themselves to be the true villain at the end of this and his name is the bastard the bastard gets introduced at this point in the show and he was a really cool villain to have It seems like his ability is anybody that he's able to basically see with his eyes. He can make their head explode. It's another type of telepathic ability that is truly terrifying as we see him countless times throughout the series explode multiple people's heads off at once in the same moment, just one after another, snap, snap, snap. Um, He really works for me. Uh, He evolves. uh, We really only get introduced to him halfway through the series, but the amount of character growth that we get with him and you see how he evolves and continues to be as a villain, but the the stakes of him and the overall threat that he imposes increases along with that is really cool to see, and we're actually introduced to him as he's retiring. At this point, we're in the wake of the group's failed heist. Uh, the bastard was able to pull one over on them, and he came out on top. However, at least the team all still has their lives. So, you know, they take the, they take the L on the chin this time, and they just have to move forward with their lives. This is when we get this is when we really start getting a light on the romantic plot between Johnny Bull and Casey, which ends up being oh, probably the most important factor of the show overall. Become, it becomes it cements itself as the center of what the series is kind of about. And it's protecting that relationship above all else. And uh, he says, you know, I don't I don't care about being in the, the villain business anymore. I just want to be with you. Um, and they have a wonderful declaration of love and they're going to go and get married, which is awesome for their characters. It shows some character development on both sides that they're willing to come together and just focus on having a good life uh, as a positive change. However, like any good uh, uh, bachelor party movie, he gets into trouble the night before and gets caught up with his friends and he winds up committing crime again and not doing a great job of it, however, because he gets caught. So right, right, in the, right before the morning of his wedding, he ends up getting sent back to Supermax, a super depressing 
uh, chapter end to what you thought would be the best way for his character to move forward was to put the villain life behind him and focus on just living a good life. He slips up that one more time and finds himself back where we picked up with him at the beginning of the second chapter, setting the stakes for the heartbreak that ensues uh, between Casey, who has to wait for him again, potentially, uh, who opened her heart to him again, only to be let down in, in this strong way. And that sets us up for the final chapter of the series, which actually I think really ends on a strong note. I know that I have had a decent amount of critiques moving through this point of the series, but I think that while most of the series wasn't set up very well, the actual setup for the final act actually does work very well for me. So I'm excited to get into that part right away. So Johnny has had five more years in Supermax to really reflect on things and think about what he's going to do when he gets back out. And in this time, he's meeting a lot of different criminals that have been on the outside, learning various things and coming back on the inside. And he's able to get some intel on the different people that he talks to. The, some are even uh, prison guards that are at Supermax. And he's able to basically come up with a big plan to win it all back uh, when he comes out of jail. And that's exactly what happens when he's let loose. We see him do exactly what he did before, which was meet back up with Casey and start showering her with attention and affection. At this point, I kind of don't love Johnny's character. He becomes more of a competent individual and more in control of things. But I don't necessarily buy that his love is coming from a genuine place. He kind of is his point of view feels a little bit cheeky and nefarious and i guess that is kind of the point of this that is super crooks but it is it what is worth noting is while they are crooks they do have a moral line they won't kill people uh which actually sets them aside from the main villains that we see here we're definitely operating in the gray area because they're certainly not on the side of the heroes but especially coming into the final act their crime that they're planning on committing is against the villains and in fact, the greatest villain there is. So they are walking the moral gray area, which is nice to see because it makes you actually able to root for them other than just watching evil people do what they want to do. So they get their squad back together for one final heist. And this time their target is the bastard. He is the strongest evil villain that we see in this world. He has the most power and the most, pa and the most money to go along with it. And essentially what they're going to attempt to steal from him is his source of unlimited uh cash let's say uh, uh a box that seems unending in how much money and gold that it can fit inside of something that is very valuable of course in this world it's at this part of the series that this show really starts to cash in on all the type of charm that it's injected throughout the series and it plays it all up to an 11 and the amount of flair and personality that comes through as he's reassembling the team in a way that feels very similar to any heist trope type movie or TV show that you've seen before, uh, getting the band back together, so to speak. But the amount of flair that comes through in that scene, uh, I'm just really bought into it at this point. Again, coming to this point, this is we're at episode 11 of 13 at, at this point where I'm really starting to fall in love with the characters and really like seeing them and their dynamic when they play off each other. Uh, I didn't feel it in the earlier parts of the series, but at this point it is hitting pretty strong. The inciting incident that gets these characters all back together is that Carmine actually owes a different crime lord uh, a large lump sum of money because he tried and failed to pull something off against him. And of course, these characters care about him so much, the old man being the emotional crutch of the team, that they're going to do whatever it takes to find a solution to help him out. And in this situation, it's going to be trying to take down the bastard. Not before they add one more person to their team, however, 
and that's in the form of the gladiator. I haven't talked about his character so much because for the first half of the series, he doesn't provide that much other than some physical comedy for being the absolute brute force that he is. He's essentially just a super-powered man. He doesn't have any notable power other than a strong moral code and just overall overwhelming strength in general to boot. His character was a lot of fun, and getting the added layer that he is actually gay and has secret affairs on the side was really a really fun layer to add to him because other than other than that one moment of infidelity he's shown himself to be nothing but a uh a, a, an overwhelming force of positivity and justice in the series so he's the closest thing to a definitive hero that we get to see throughout it and he he's a lot of fun joining our cast and crew here uh in his reluctance to do so but it's also believable that given the circumstances that they set up here that he would work with them so I had a lot of fun seeing him, and the justice that he serves later on was just mm, delicious. As they actually pull off their final heist, we get at least one moment with each character for them to really show off their powers and show why each of them is a vital member of this team. And it was really fun seeing everyone's powers get the show off. One thing that the show has been able to do pretty consistently throughout is really surprise me in the different applications of the powers. If I were to say anybody gets robbed of having fun with theirs, it's actually our main character, Johnny Bolt. He's shown that he has really strong electrical command, but he's never using it to any grand level. We even see him in that first episode as a child working on how he can use his electricity to fly, an ability that we never see him replicate ever again. And we never see something even as interesting as that. We essentially just see him messing with different electronics around which is cool for a, a high situation, but I do wish we that we got more type of action action with him because I feel like that is what was uh, promised in the first in the first episode, but we never got quite delivered on that front. But at least with all the other cool characters that we do have in our cast, we get to see plenty displays of fun powers. My favorite one that we see over this montage is the absolute beauty of the Diesel Brothers as they need to get to point A to point B and there's going to be a bunch of lasers in between. And, of course, only they can handle it because they can regenerate on the spot and we just get a lovely gore fest. This stands out as one of the most memorable moments of the series. Thinking back to it, this is always the first one. These characters are always so much fun. They're so funny. And watching them just get cut up as they try to make it across the hallway was just... Such a strong note of fun and humor and sets out what makes the show its own and its own specific tone in that it, it does infuse comedy in the dark, but it also takes itself seriously. It's never being too silly and unto itself. But yeah, our characters do their thing. They get their money and they get the heck out of there. Uh, Praetorian actually makes another appearance at this point. And at this point, I am just terrified of him and I don't know how they can deal with him. But of course, they brought a gladiator to a gun knife, a gunfight, and he just takes over and completely overwhelms him with his strong, powerful justice. It was really nice seeing him uh, do his thing there. And again, they brought they got in a lot of humor in the just brutal way that he beats the heck, heck out of him. All the while that we have been following our male characters doing the heist, Casey has been having her own battle head to head with the bastard all on the side. And you see their psychic abilities going head to head and it's a power struggle essentially. He wants to blow her head up and she wants to send him away. Just at, The show really did trick me here. There's a scene where you see him blow her head up, blow it to pieces. You see her eyeball roll on the floor. It's very gory. This show is very gory in general. 
Um, but right, right as I thought that they had me there, uh, they, you, you realize that that's not what's really happening. This entire fight scene that we've seen was all creation from Casey to keep him distracted so that they can finish off their heist. She was in control of the situation all along, and it just reminds you at the very end that Casey is the true MVP of this team. She is super underrated, and she brings so much to the story, uh, driving the plot and taking care of a lot of situations. Overall, very satisfying conclusion and very satisfying way to bring it all narratively to a close. Um, one great twist is that uh, a part of Johnny's plan is the costumes that they put on were reminiscent of the rival crime gang that is the the second to the second strongest supervillain power next to the bastard. He essentially frames that other that other crime gang. So when all when all is said and done and the bastard's money is missing. The bastard blames this other gang and he just destroys them off with their heads. So in one fellow swoop, Johnny was able to take uh, $800 million away from the bastard, who's the number one crime lord, and pin it on the sec- number two crime lord and just wh- essentially gives heavy blows to both of these factions. And in that way, I think that Johnny technically is a superhero here. It- it's all about framing and perspective uh, if you choose to look at it this way. But I do think that there is a strong argument to be made that in in this fellow swoop, he actually is being a superhero and perhaps for the first time ever. And, it, it, and you know, I've been critical of the character arc that they brought Johnny Bolt on, but ending it on this note, I think, is a strong case for remnants of that original character still being there from episode one. So I do think that the show finishes really strongly on that front. Uh, and then we do get this cliffhanger type of tag at the very end where his best friend back from when they were child children is running some type of publishing newspaper type position. And he gets them in the mail all of these this evidence of the big thing that Johnny just pulled off. So I don't think that there's going to be a season two for the series, but if they did, it would be awesome to finally pick back up with that character and maybe see a full to- turnaround for Johnny Bolt to maybe become more of a vigilante type character that, or an anti-hero maybe. That, that would be a cool development for him, especially considering his roots where all he wanted was to be a superhero. The final note that we end on is one of love as now Johnny Bolt and Casey have all the freedom financially and just personally in their life to pursue their love and finally get married. It was definitely a sweet note and it was a good way to slap a button on the plot that was their budding relationship throughout the series they definitely did a lot for you to make it for you to feel like these people are really meant for each other and that their love love is really strong and fierce something a little bit of a butch cassidy butch and cassidy type situation i like them a lot they definitely work for me and i like their relationship so all in all, guys, I do think that Super Crooks is worth a watch. Uh, visually and tonally, it's one of the more unique animated series that I have watched. That being said, it's not perfect by any means. I would give this show maybe a 7 out of 10. There were a lot of parts towards the, the early and middle part of the series that didn't really work for me. Uh, a lot of potential there, and I think that it could have been done well. There were just some parts that weren't quite well executed. However, it does finish on a strong note, which is the most important part to finish on. And I was impressed that it was able to leave me wanting more and leave me feeling satisfied at the same time. So, yeah, good on you, Super Crooks. If you make a season two, I'll definitely be there to cover it and enjoy it myself. But, yeah, I'm excited to consume some more superhero content. 
Uh, if you stick around, uh, coming up on the show, we are going to be going through JoJo Bizarre Adventure, new season that just dropped on Netflix. And I'm also looks like I'm going through Money Heist for the first time. Everyone's been urging me to do that one, so I'm finally going to hop on that wave. And another one I'm keeping my eye out for is The Shrink Next Door on Apple TV. That one is based on a podcast of the same name, based on true events about uh, kind of, it seems like a scary, dramatic plot. It's very highbrow, and it's got Paul Rudd and uh, the dude from Elf, Will Ferrell. So it seems like it can't miss. So stay tuned. That's what we're going on next. And if you listen this far, I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me a try, and I love you.